0: Well met everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather, and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. I guess it's not back since I just started it, but you know what I mean. Welcome to this week's episode. So I apologize for canceling last week. I ended up having some friends, you know, one of my friends was having surgery and we just had a lot going on with NerdSmith and I wasn't able to get an episode put together so I apologize for that. This week I'm coming back with a topic that I feel is very nostalgic for the U.S. and hopefully interesting. I want to talk about the history of drive-in theaters. So for anyone who might be listening from a different country and isn't as familiar with them, or anyone who's never been to one, a drive-in theater is essentially what it sounds like. You drive in with your car, and it's a movie theater where you get to see a show. Drive-in theaters have been something that have been around since long before I was a child, but I remember getting to go with my parents, and it was so much fun because you'd get to wear your pajamas, you could sit in the car. My parents, uh, we had one of those old, really old, because this was like you know 20 some years ago but we would get one of our our popcorn maker and make a big trash bag full of popcorn and my parents would make a big deal out of it we would get the sprinkle on cheese flavorings and things like that and a big bottle of drink of some kind tea or juice or whatever and we'd go as a family and watch a movie and it was a lot of fun i remember getting to hang out in the back of the car with my brother And because we had a minivan, we could move around so we didn't have to sit still through the entire movie, which honestly, for a parent, is one of the best things about a drive-in theater is the fact that the kids can actually get up and move around and it doesn't disturb everyone else. And that's one of the things that I believe led to some of its popularity long ago. But nowadays especially, you don't see that many drive-in movie theaters. They're just not as popular as they used to be. And there's a lot of different reasons for that, not the least of which is that we don't have to leave our houses anymore to go see good movies. We don't have to leave our houses to go see the newest movies because we have streaming and we have pay-per-view and we have video rentals and things like that. And, you know, just all sorts of things like that where if people are willing to wait a little bit longer... They don't have to go to a drive-in in in order to have a very private movie-going experience. We've also got, you know, in-home stereo equipment that you can get now that basically gives you surround sound like a movie theater. My husband and I actually have some of that because I don't know if I've mentioned it before. He works in that industry, not making movies, but dealing with the theater side of it. And so he's very into good sound quality. So it's something that we have in our house, and I know there's a lot of other people that do as well. So it just, it made the need to go to a drive-in not as big. People didn't have to go to have that same type of experience, but there's still something very, very nostalgic for a lot of us about going to a drive-in movie theater. And I want to go into a little more of their history today. So movies have been around for years and years and years I mean it's over a century at this point that we've had them around easily they started off very very simply usually um little animated things like almost like a flip frame or basically it was a series of pictures that would then be gone through very quickly and sped up kind of like if you remember as a kid one of those wheels where you spin the wheel really fast and all of the images inside start moving and you see the horse galloping it's that kind of idea Earliest movies were more like that. And then gradually, of course, over time, we've had a lot of innovation. Things are a lot different now. We have digital, we have CGI, we have all of these things. But movies have always captivated American audiences, in particular American audiences, the world over, also. But for obvious reasons, since I'm in the US, (laughs) that tends to be my focus in terms of history and things, just because I know it the best. So Movies have always been around. They've always been something that everyone loves to watch. People hang out. Families get together and make an event of it. You can have kids birthdays parties centered around movies and you know now with all the commercialism that's based off of some of those kids movies there's lots of themed party stuff. Things like that. It's very very common entertainment. It's a very intrinsic part of our social makeup at this point, you know, movie stars get paid millions of dollars to act like crazy people on screen for us to watch, things like that. And cars are also a very big part of the American culture, especially back, of course, in like the 50s and 60s, the era of hot rods, and the time when people first started getting like family cars. Every family had a car, not literally every family, but you know, most of middle America middle-income America and up had cars. If you were rich enough, maybe you had more than one, and it was something that made traveling and going places as a family much more accessible. You didn't have to be constrained by, do I have a horse that can take me somewhere? You didn't have to be constrained by, can I take a train there? You didn't have to be stopped by whether or not your child could walk far enough to go to something with you suddenly you had a car and you could take them with you everywhere. Now, that was probably better for some parents than for others, depending on your preferences. And sorry if you hear random dog sighs and noises in the background. I don't know if it's going to pick up on my mic or not. I'm going to try to edit it out. But uh, the dogs are hanging out with me today because the weather outside is gross. And so you might hear an occasional whimper or snort or something. I'll try to edit them out, but I can't guarantee it's going to happen. Anyway, drive in theaters. So, over time, it's not a big surprise that someone came up with the idea to combine a car with a movie theater. And outdoor movies have been shown for years and years and years. Even before drive ins became a thing, you know, anyone who could afford it, which was not a lot of people when they first came out, could have a little movie player of their own, a little uh, projector of their own, and put up a screen, and show a movie for their friends if they had the ability to do it. Now, there were not a lot of people who could, but over time, someone came up with the idea to combine the two. The very, very first uh, drive-in theater was not actually just drive-in. It was a combination of drive-in and normal theater, and it was actually in New Mexico. So it was in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and it opened on April 23rd, 1915. It was called the Theater de Guadalupe. And per an article in the local newspaper at the time, several hundred people may be comfortably seated in the auditorium, automobile entrances and places for 40 or more cars within the theater grounds and in line position to see the pictures and witness all performances of the stage is a beautiful f- or is a feature of the place that will please car owners. So it was specifically designed to allow at least a few people to watch everything that was happening without having to get out of their car. So it, this particular one had regular theater seating, but then it also had spaces for cars. And it, from what I could find of the pictures and everything, it looks like it was sort of like an amphitheater sort of situation. So it was an out more of an outdoor theater, but then the cars could also park around the edge sort of thing and see the movie. And just in case anyone wants to know, that little excerpt I just read off was from an article in the Rio Grande Republican of April of 1915. Looks like April 16th of 1915. And it was called A Newcomer to Las Cruces. So it was basically an article about the new theater and what was going on. And that's the first one that's really known of here in the U.S. Now, it's not necessarily the first one that was successful at all, but it's the first one that occurred. Unfortunately, the Theater de Guadalupe actually closed a little more than a year after it had opened. It wasn't as popular as people had hoped. But keep in mind, this was also 1915, and in that time frame, there were not as many people who had cars, there were not as many people who necessarily had the money to go out and see movies because even though they weren't always super expensive, depending on where you went at the time, well, okay, let me rephrase. They They don't sound expensive to us now, but you have to keep in mind, in 1915, a nickel might buy you an entire loaf of bread, depending on where you were. Nowadays, a nickel gets you, like, nothing. Like, people don't even stop on the street to pick that up off the ground. But back in the day, that was a lot of money. I mean, I know my own mother, who was born in 1959, she has told me that when she was a kid, she remembers a loaf of bread costing like maybe 25 cents, something like that. And then you compare that to now when I go to the grocery store and if I see, you know, the store brand of bread for $1.99, I'm like, shoot, that's a really good deal. So in that sixty-year time frame, the prices on things have jumped a lot. So to us now, five or ten cents were like whatever. But back when people were first starting to see movies in the old um, Nickelodeon, i think they called Nickelodeon—the old Arcadian arcades. I can't talk today, sorry. The old like nickel arcades. A nickel was a lot of money to them back then. That was a splurge. You were spending money that could buy you, I mean, maybe not a whole meal, but a chunk of food for going to see a movie of some kind. And honestly, those back then were super short, too, and not as high quality as ours now. And honestly, that's still what it's like. I mean, if you go to a movie theater, you're probably going to drop down depending on the time of day and how old you are, because obviously kids are cheaper. They don't charge you as much. You're probably going to drop down at least 6 to 10 dollars on a ticket, just on the ticket to get in the door. And then if you get in the door and you order food from the theater of any kind, any of the popcorn or snacks or whatever, you're probably going to bump that up to at least another 20 bucks a person. Well, okay. It depends on how much you get. Let's say 10 dollars a person. So that makes your theater going experience 20 bucks. And 20 bucks could get you a nice lunch. I mean, not a fancy lunch, but it could feed you. <laughs> So 20 bucks is a lot of money and it's probably roughly the minimum if you're going to buy food at the theater nowadays. So splurging on something like going to the theater, going to a movie, was not something a lot of people could necessarily do back in 1915 and when the first drive-ins opened. Following the first theater in 1915 in Las Cruces, there were a few others. Um, Another one opened up in 1921 in Comanche, Texas, called The Flawed, excuse me, it was opened by Claude V. Caver, and they were allowed to show films downtown. But people were parked bumper to bumper and you couldn't see the screen as well. And um, also in the 1920s, outdoor movies became more popular, like what I was talking about. People would go and watch a movie outdoors on a big screen somewhere, but they didn't necessarily go in their car that still wasn't as popular. Again, partly because cars weren't as common yet. People had them. They existed. People knew what they were. But it wasn't really until the 1940s, 1950s, when everyone started having cars. Now, the lowest income families might not have a car. Other people might choose not to have one because it was too much of a hassle. But overall, most of middle America Most of the middle-income families could now own cars, and it was a big deal initially. You could go places and do things. And so that's really when drive-in theaters hit their peak. Even before that, though, one of the things that made them more successful is that a man in Camden, New Jersey, named Richard M. Hollingshead Jr., that's a long name, Richard M. Hollingshead Jr., he owned a chemical plant, and he started experimenting with things in his driveway, figuring out angles and how to place things so that everyone could see the screen. And he put like a radio behind the screen, and he just practiced in his driveway and figured out what could work. And then eventually he figured out how to get everything set up with different spacing and ramps so that everyone had a really good view and put in for a patent in August, August 6th of 1932 have to read my own notes. And he was given a patent on May 16th of 1933. So not quite a year later, like six months later. And then he opened up a theater. Now, when he opened up this theater, he had about 400 slots. So 400 different spots for cars. And then they had a 40 to 50 foot screen, which, you know, at least back then was pretty big. Now they're much bigger, but back then that was big. And unfortunately he didn't make a whole lot of money. He sold it after just three years because he hadn't been making any profit. So he sold it to a a Union, New Jersey theater owner who moved everything around. But by that point, the concept of the drive-in theater had really kind of caught on and started spreading around the country. Other people had started doing something similar. There was another one opened up in 1934 over in Orfield, Pennsylvania called uh, Shankweiler's Auto Park and it was, they had a drive-in, and there was one in Galveston, I mean, there's a bunch, I'm not going to list through them all, because it'll take forever, but there were a whole bunch that opened up right after that, because people had discovered, hey, this is something people actually like doing, now, this was in the 1930s, that this really started, and even then, there weren't that many of them, even compared to now, when they're not as common, there weren't that many of them, you know, 12 opened up during 1938 and 1939 in various states and one of the biggest issues they had was sound issues because at the time it was really hard for them to figure out how to get the sound quality to be good for everybody. If they put the speakers on a big tower behind the screen then anyone who was parked at the far back didn't get as good a sound and their sound would be delayed. For anyone who doesn't know, sound travels slower than light. And so what that means is that I'll see a flash of lightning before I hear the sound. That's why they are always telling you if you see lightning, count, you know, 1, 1000, 2, 1000, 3, 1000, and then wait for the sound of it because when you hear the thunder, that tells you how far away it is. The reason is because the light travels significantly faster, so I see the flash of lightning before I can hear the sound effect of it. What this meant, though, is that anyone who was at the back row of the drive-in theater, they would see the film because it's light. They would see the image projected, but they wouldn't hear the sound in time with the screen. Now, for anyone who's ever had their download or something just completely mess up and you're seeing the lips move, but you don't hear the sound at the same time, like a really bad old Godzilla movie, you know, you see the mouth moving and then all of a sudden, it's Gojira, like stuff like that those sort of issues caused them a lot of problems because obviously people don't want that. And what that would mean is that they had to figure out a way to figure out the sound. Ultimately, RCA figured out a way to do it, and they're the ones that sort of first invented the in-car speakers with the individual volume controls, which also solved noise pollution issues because obviously if you're living anywhere near a drive-in theater and you've got this huge tower blasting movie sounds all over the neighborhood, you're not going to be overly happy. I wouldn't be. I mean, I like movies and I would not be happy if that was happening near my house. So RCA invented the in-car little stereo speakers, like what you see in old movies and everything, you know, you drive up to the stand, put the little thing on your window, and then you can hear the movie through the speaker. And that's really when sort of drive-in theaters fully started to take off, 1941 and after, when those spread like wildfire, wildfire, I can't talk, through the different theaters. And then leading into the peak of drive-in theaters, which was the 1950s and 60s. I'll be back with more information on that and what happened after, after the break. Okay, so I actually am going to try to do a short break today. We all know I'm not good at that, but I'm going to try. Okay, so I want to talk about World Anvil. It's an amazing website. You can do amazing world building. It's so robust. There's so many things you can do, so many ways you can link the different articles, the different characters, the different things you're creating. You can make a map. It's just fantastic. I can't talk about it enough. It's worldanvil.com, and I really recommend you check it out if you do any kind of writing or world building for DD campaigns or anything like that. They do have a free subscription that you can sign up for. You don't get as many of the options, of course, but you can sign up for it and then go from there. Another thing I'd recommend checking out is Die Hard Dice. They're one of the other sponsors here at NerdSmith and they're just gorgeous. I can't talk about them enough like it's mesmerizing how pretty they are when you look at them And they're constantly coming out with new amazing products. They just came out with one. They're calling it their Dyer d20 It's a really big d20 and it's metal and their dice are solid One of the other things I really like about their dice I've mentioned it before about the mythica and gothica. They've rounded the corners on their metal dice. So what that means is when you're rolling a d4, the edges are rounded. So if you happen to drop it on a wood table or something, you don't completely mess up your table because it's not sharp and pointy and stabbing into the wood. Also, if you step on one, it doesn't act like a caltrop and absolutely murder your foot. So, you know, that's a plus two. Definitely recommend you check it out. That's dieharddice.com. And when you check out, if it's your first time using the code, your first time purchasing from them, or if it's your next purchase and the first time using the code, you can use the code GEEKTHYSELF, all one word, for 1515 percent off of your purchase. So definitely check that out. And with that, let's get back to this week's topic. Okay, so back to drive-in theaters. So like I mentioned before the break... Their peak was during the 1950s and 60s. That's really when they exploded and you saw drive-in theaters just absolutely everywhere. And I've mentioned it already, but part of this is that people had cars now. Up until the 1950s when... Okay, so I have to backtrack a little bit to make this make more sense. Economics. Not my favorite topic, but... The history of economics is very interesting in the US, and it's also interesting to see what happens after a war. After the war, or well, after World War II, when all of the military men were coming back and the US had had an economic boom because of all of the industry created by the war, at that point, the economy of the US was exceptionally strong. We had just come out of the Great Depression. We came out of it during World War II and then proceeded to continue to grow from there. And we came into the the prosperous time of the 1950s and 1960s here where lots of people were having good incomes, good jobs. We had um, the economy improving a lot and all of this. And during that time frame, one of the things that happened, I've mentioned it already, but one of the things that happened is that most families were now able to afford a car, the average middle-income family could afford a car, which was something that hadn't really happened before. Cars had been much more rare up until this point. So that, plus the fact that in more rural areas of the U.S., which was still most of the U.S. at that point, it was easier to have a drive-in theater where people could just drive up from all over, pull in, and watch the movie than to have a big regular movie theater screen made it so they were very popular. I mean, it could be a hangout for the kids because they had food there. It could also be a place to go as a family because if you didn't want to, you know, necessarily deal with kids, people had the kids in their car. You didn't have to deal with the kids. Everyone had their kids more contained. So for anyone who wasn't a fan of kids running around a movie theater, they didn't have to worry about it. Another thing too, one of the people um, just before World War II There were 15 drive-in theaters opened um, in the United States, and nine of them were all run by the same man, a man named Philip Smith, who specifically promoted a family-friendly environment, including things like letting kids in for free, which some do still do. Some of them still have either a cheaper rate for kids or a free rate for kids, depending on how big they are. And he also built playgrounds there, so if the kids were just way too antsy, could not sit still, could not stop moving, you could take them to the little playground, let them work off some energy, and then go back to your car and finish the movie. And, you know, if you've ever been to a drive-in movie theater, there's often little speakers in different places. Now, nowadays, most of these have multiple screens, but back then, most of them probably only had one, maybe two, maybe two screens. Like, they weren't necessarily huge until later. Probably in the 1950s and 60s is roughly when you started to see more and more screens. So, in the early days, people could have been listening to the movie because it would have all been the same movie no matter, you know, which screen you were parked in front of. Also, paying for the movie rights in order to show the movie is something the theater has to do, and so not having to pay for multiple movies at a time would be cheaper. That's why some of those small movie theaters that you see, it's not necessarily that they don't have enough screens to show more movies, but sometimes they just can't afford to show, you know, all the biggest blockbuster 20 movies that just came out. They have to pick and choose what they can afford to pay for the rights to play, which is unfortunate, but that's the way it is. And so during this time, it was a really big thing. And another thing that was good about the drive-in is that You know, adults could take their children and they could also take their infant. You could watch the movie. You could have kids there on a date. You didn't have to interact with other people. You had a very private area inside the car. One downside to them, though, is that because it's a projector, you had to show the movies at night. So that did cut down on how much money they could make. They tried to figure out a few things to let them show movies during the day, but nothing ever really worked well. So, ultimately, they gave up on that and just focused on ways to get people in at night. Over time, after the 1950s and 60s, when they had hit their peak, as more options became available for people in their homes, you know, color TVs started happening. So, people no longer had to go just to the theater in order to have entertainment. They could stay at home and watch in the privacy of their living room. Also, you know it again you're only showing movies at night so just making an income from something like that is going to be a lot harder than a regular theater where you can show movies all day so things like that did eventually lead to the decline of the drive-in theaters they saw a little bit of a resurgence in the 1990s which is when i was a kid so you know no big surprise that myself and a lot of people my age remember going to a theater with their family and hanging out in the car and watching at the drive-in. They tried a lot of different gimmicks. Some of them even would show pornographic films at very, very, very obscure times so that there weren't likely to be any children anywhere nearby. Uh, that usually required, though, special timing, and then you also had to be really far away from more populated areas because, obviously, they're not going to let you show that if there's going to be little kids possibly running around for very obvious reasons. So there were a lot of different things like that that different drive-ins tried. I know one of the dr- – well, the drive-in that I remember going to as a kid was in San Jose. It was um, at the Capitol 16th Century Theater. And it was uh, the Barriessa, I think it was Barriessa 16 or something like that. I'd have to look it up again. But it was a drive-in at night. And during the day at the end of the week, so Thursday through Sunday, they would have a flea market. So they raised money by letting people set up stalls there during the day at the end of the week. They would take money for you to enter the flea market. I went in a few times with my grandparents and with my parents once or twice and you would pay to go in the flea market and also the vendors would pay to have a stall at the flea market. So it was a way for the drive-in theater to supplement their income and still stay open and show movies at night. But I remember going there um, and I went there even in high school. I went with friends once. We saw Elf. If anyone remembers the Will Ferrell Christmas movie Elf, we saw Elf. And I don't remember what the second movie was. It was one of those double feature ones but the second movie obviously wasn't very good because I can't remember what it was. I liked Elf, though. That was cute. And, you know, it was just something fun to do. It was a way to hang out. You could be loud inside your car and not bother everybody else. And over time, they just haven't become as popular. I mentioned it at the beginning of the episode, but, you know, with things like streaming videos and surround sound in your own home and all these different ways that you can get different types of movies you know whatever you want there's amazon prime movies there's netflix you can do streaming on a roku or a fire stick or an apple i forget what they call them the little apple boxes that you can get apple watch apple tv apple tv that's what it is um all of those things you can attach to your smart tvs now and just watch from home you don't have to go anywhere. And so it's just not as popular for people to drive somewhere to go to a drive-in theater. Unfortunately, what this means is that those of us that would love to go see one, myself included, have the problem of not being able to find one easily. Now, there happens to be one in the Sacramento area where I'm located. And I know there's still, I think, one down in the Bay Area where my family is. I, I don't believe it's the one that I grew up with, though. I should check. Let me check. Okay, so... Through the magic of podcasting, I was able to (laughs) look online and find that the theater that I went to as a kid is still open. It is still an open drive-in theater. Um, Looks like they have three screens, which is pretty much what I remember them having. Might be four. It's a little hard to tell from this picture that I found. But it, it looks the same. I fully remember this building and this location. It's in San Jose. It used to be next to an old century theater regular theater so um, there was a probably a little bit of competition at night but like I said they would supplement with the flea market during the day. It used to be called the Berryessa I believe it was Berryessa Drive-In and now it is called the Westwind Capital Six Drive-In and they do still do the flea market during the day. They do the San Jose Capital Flea Market during the day. So you can still go look at that. If so if you're in the Bay Area and you want to check out a drive-in, you can look that up and find out more information. But one of the things that they're doing too, and I believe there's a lot of theaters that do this, is they do double features quite often. So that was another thing, is the pricing on a drive-in movie is often less Now, that wasn't necessarily always the case, but nowadays that's true. And I think that's one of the reasons why they're seeing a little bit of a resurgence again. Like Not only because they're a little cheaper, but also because people like me who remember going to see one as a kid have this nostalgia of going to the drive-in. So now people my age are taking their own children to go to the drive-in because it's an experience. It's not necessarily something you're going to do on the regular. It's not something you're going to go to every week. But it's a different experience that you get to have and you get to share it and reminisce with your kids like, Oh, I remember when grandma and grandpa used to bring me here as a kid, and we would go see a movie, and there'd be a big bag of popcorn, and meanwhile, your kids are hanging out with you in the car, and you've got a big bag of popcorn in the car. You know, it's, it's a fun family experience, and so even though they're not as popular as they used to be, and they're not as easy to find as they used to be, drive-in theaters are still around, and they're definitely a part of the American history an American nostalgia that I think a lot of us nowadays remember fondly at least mostly fondly I'm sure there's some people who've had bad experiences that are driving here and there but overall they're something that elicit this feeling of like old 1950s and 60s when you see it in movies and everybody's there and all the teens are having their dates and just this very old-fashioned sort of nostalgic homey feel at least that's what I get from it obviously everyone's different so your immediate interpretation of a drive-in theater might be completely different and that's a valid thing everyone's allowed to have their different opinions for me that's what I think of when I think of a drive-in theater and thanks for joining me to find out more about the history of how they started and where they came from with that I'm going to call this episode good and I will be back next week to talk to you guys then Please remember to check out all the other wonderful shows and productions that we have at nerdsmith.org. You can submit questions or topic suggestions to me on Twitter at amethyst underscore magic with a CK or you can email me at geekthyself at nerdsmith.org. I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. Until then, don't forget to geek thyself. When you venture through the Looking-Glass and into Fairy you know better than to expect a normal life upon your return home. Futures are changed and marked indelibly by the strange magics of that land and adhere themselves to your fate. Now the veil between the worlds is thinner than ever and only one who has journeyed to Fairy and back again can help those unaware of the dangers that lurk around every corner. That someone is in Underland at nerdsmith.org or wherever you download your podcasts.